Why is it easier to do something bad than to do something good? You know, why is it easier to go and eat some ice cream when you know you shouldn't eat it rather than not eat it? Why is it easier to lose your temper and harder to hold your tongue and stay patient? Why is it so much of the time easier to do wrong than right? And how do we get set free from that? It's one thing to want to stop doing wrong. We were thinking about that last week, how as God's people we don't want to go back to sin. We want to do what is right. But how do we actually do that? How do we do good? That's what Romans 7 and 8 are about today as we're thinking about the change that the Spirit of God makes in the life of a Christian. If you've been here the last few weeks, you will have... um, been with us as we've been working through Romans and we saw right back in Romans 1 how we as humanity say no to God we reject him we then replace him and so we worship created things and things of this creation and God hands us over to that in our sin and Romans says that that is like a slavery we are stuck in that but Romans is written to tell us the good news remember the good news about God's rescue. And in chapter 3, we saw that Jesus rescues us from that and we are forgiven and he brings us back into a good relationship with God. Although we did see in Romans 5 that we're still living in this world, aren't we? So as Christians, life is not perfect. We still suffer as we wait for the new creation to come. But as we live in this broken world, what about in our own lives? What about sin? Are Christians suddenly free from sin or do we still struggle with sin? And if we still struggle with sin, should we expect to um, defeat it? How does this work? Can we change? We're seeing in Romans 7 and 8 that yes, we can. Because do you remember our initial problem of us saying no to God and rejecting him? Well, what we're going to see today is that's the problem that God addresses through Jesus and he actually brings us not just back into a right relationship with God, but God by his spirit changes us so that we can actually live the way we were designed to and to worship God. So that's what we're thinking about today in Romans 7 and 8. Firstly, in chapter 7, we're going to look at what doesn't work. We're going to have a look at how God's own law or following rules, can't make us good. And then in chapter 8, we're going to see how we can change, what does change us. We're going to see how Jesus makes it possible for us to do God good, and you can follow that on your outline. So firstly, chapter 7, we're thinking about life for a Jewish person under the law. What is broken about human beings that means that rules don't work? Why can't rules make us into better people? Paul here is talking to Jewish people in chapter 7. You notice in verse 1 it says, um, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law? So he's talking to Jewish people. Jewish people, though, who've been rescued through Jesus. And Paul raises a question here. If a Jewish person who becomes a Christian has been rescued from the law, set free from the law, that's the language Romans uses, does that mean the law was bad? 
If we have to be set free from the law, does that mean actually that God's law was bad? Verse 7 of Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from law, sin is dead. Paul is starting to scratch the surface of the life of a person who is trying to obey God by following the law, and we're going to think about why that doesn't work. But some people try and blame the law for their sin. You know, like, well, um, that was a stupid law anyway, or the law caused me to sin. Paul's answer is no, it's not the law that's the problem. People are the problem. Sin in our life is the problem. I can remember when I was a teenager, we got a dishwasher in Yenda at our house. And back then, a dishwasher was a real novelty. We were excited about it. I remember reading the manual of the dishwasher, starstruck by it. It was so exciting to have a dishwasher. And it said in the manual, never put normal detergent in the dishwasher. Now, I wouldn't have probably thought of putting normal detergent in the dishwasher because it came with this special powder that you put in the door, which was all pretty exciting. But when I read those words, I was filled with curiosity. (laughs) Why not? Now, does that mean the warning was wrong? No, the warning was there for a reason. It was a good warning. I can testify that it was a good warning because (laughs) when I put normal detergent in the dishwasher... It was a disaster. It was worse than you could imagine, okay? It wasn't just that it went a bit bubbly. Every single uh, orifice in the kitchen was exploding with bubbles. And when I opened the dishwasher, it was just a thick wall of, like, polystyrene bubble. Like, it was solid. We had to scoop it out bit by bit. Anyway, it was a very good rule. So what was the problem? The problem was me. Now, it's exactly the same with the Old Testament law. It's not the law that's the problem. It is a good law. It tells us the best way to live. And it's not the law that makes us sin. But people, they hear the law and they disobey it. The problem is with sin. Verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin... Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. See, the deception of sin is that we read the law, God's way that's telling us what is right, and sin says, no, that's not the better way. Try this. The law shows us the right way, but then sin comes along and it brings death. But it's even worse than that. Because the law itself is actually powerless to do anything else. There's the law, we disobey it, and the law can't actually help us at that point. So a Jewish person, they're under the law, they know that the law is good, but they can't actually keep it. Because they are under the control of a different master, they're under the control of sin. Verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual Sold as a slave to sin. 
I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. We had a very good friend when we were growing up who was an alcoholic. And we saw her at her best when she wanted to get off the drink. And then we saw her at her worst when she was just yelling and screaming at her daughter and we'd have to look after her daughter sometimes for weeks at a time. But no matter how hard she tried and no matter how hard her friends tried to help her, she was stuck in it. And she just kept getting dragged back down into it, this big dark hole that she never escaped out of. It's that kind of slavery, that kind of... um, a bad master and being stuck under uh, that Paul, Paul's using that kind of language here in Romans. You know, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, way back in Romans 1, we were thinking about Gentiles stuck in slavery to sin. This was the kind of language we were thinking about with them. They were full of every kind of evil and malice and deceit and going from bad to worse and they were stuck in it. But here it's almost the opposite. Here is a good Jewish person who's been studying God's law since they were a young child. A person who'd probably read the psalm and say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And even they are a slave to sin. Even for them, it's like a tug of war between two masters. There's the law showing them what is right, telling them to do what is right, and then there's sin telling them to do what is wrong. And which master wins? When it's the law versus sin, sin wins. They are a prisoner to sin. Look at the language of verse 22. In my inner being... I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, a good person trying to obey the law They're just as trapped as someone who's stuck in sin. The good person, the bad person, they're both controlled by sin. They both need rescuing. They both need Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're just here checking out what it is to be a Christian, these words from Romans 7 are describing you. Not that you're a Jewish person, and not that um, I'm any better than you, this, this is me before I was a Christian too, but what I mean is this, however good or bad you are, whether you're religious or whether you're not religious, 
Without Jesus, you are caught up in a battle that you cannot win. Whether you're um, doing whatever you want with your life and ignoring God, or whether you're trying your hardest to be a good person, in both cases, you are under the control of sin. And that's why, at times, you do things that you don't want to do. And you're stuck in that. And there's all kinds of self-help books out there and counselling techniques, even religions who are trying to offer you a way out of this slavery, a way to improve yourself. But if even God's law couldn't help, what hope have other things got of helping us? We actually need something that will break the control of sin in our lives. So who or what can do that? What can actually bring about change in us? And Paul gives us that answer in verse 24 of Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Jesus takes our desperate situation and he turns it upside down. Under the law, we were condemned and we were controlled by sin. But in Jesus, there is no condemnation and we are brought under the control of the Spirit. And that's what Romans 8 now is all about. It shows us what life looks like as a follower of Jesus. And it's completely different. Because Jesus does what the law couldn't. The first way he does that, and we've already seen this in Romans 3, is that he removes our condemnation. Look there in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who try really hard to be a good person. Yeah, that's not what it says, is it? I'm glad someone was reading along. Okay, there's no condemnation for those who go to church. It's not that either, is it? Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who think they're better than other people. How would you finish it off? This is what Paul says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation. In other words, when God looks upon you, he sees you as perfect. That's what verse 4 is explaining. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. When you trust in Jesus, when God looks on you, he sees you as perfect. And he sees every single law that he has ever written as being fulfilled fully in you. In other words, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation right now. That's how God sees you. 
There's not one bad thing that God can say about you. Now, the law couldn't do that because we, we couldn't keep it. But Jesus does do that. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Remember in Romans 3 how Jesus died as a substitute to take away our sin? It's not just that he took away our sin. Now when God looks upon us, he looks upon us as if we are perfect. And that's the first way that the power of sin is broken. Because it has no power to condemn you anymore. We're going to think about that a bit more in a moment. But there's a second way that the power of sin is broken. That is that sin has no power to control you anymore. It has no power to condemn you, but it also has no power to control you. Listen to how Paul describes that change in verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. That's before you're a Christian. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, that's before, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, that's after. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God, that's before. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. See, you are controlled by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. When you trust Jesus, there's a massive change that goes on inside of you. God sends his Spirit to change you. And that is true of every single person who has put their trust in Jesus. It's not that some Christians have the spirit of God and they'll be changed and some don't. Verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. In other words, if you've got Jesus, you've got his spirit. You can't be a Christian and not have the spirit of God. Which means if you trust Jesus, there is now a massive change going on inside of you. So that you are not under the control of sin anymore. You are under the control of the Spirit. Verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body... You will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, if you can just remember back half a chapter to chapter 7, where Paul was talking about the old life, in 7 verse 18, Paul was saying there, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Look at how different life here with the Spirit is. We can carry it out. We can, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. 
See, in the old life, it was always defeat. In the end, try as hard as you could, sin would always win. It was a slavery. But in the new life, we can put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, it's not magic and it's not easy. It's a fight, but it's a fight that we can win. We should expect to win because it's with God's help. Now, how does that actually work? How is it that we change as Christians? Well, when we get to chapter 12, Paul's going to explain how it is that we put this into practice and live out our new life. We're not going to look at that this morning, though, but it's not that Paul puts us back to trying to use the law to become a good person. I know that sounds really dumb, that, that after being rescued from the law, we would go back to the law, but that's what some Christians try and do. They think that the way to now beat sin is to make up a set of rules or a new set of rules or a subset of the Old Testament. You know, no drinking, no smoking, no going to the movies, no coffee, no tea, or what, whatever rules you might want to make up. Your rules may be different, but it's that idea that if I work hard enough, I set myself some boundaries, then I can overcome sin. I can beat it. Rules do not have the power to change people. Okay, if God's rules in the Old Testament didn't have the power to change people, what chance will our rules have? It's not about laws. It's not about rules. It's about seeing God at work in, his lo- in our lives by his spirit and working with him. Verse 13, if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, the language here is about being led. It's about following the Spirit. We do all have the Spirit of God if we're a follower of Jesus. But at the same time, we also have sin still telling us what to do. It's not controlling us anymore but it's there. So we need to say no to it. And we can say no to it, put it to death. Our old self is dead, so treat it as dead. Okay? Don't even give it any oxygen. Don't even play with it. Let it die. Don't do those things anymore. And so, Even though in Romans 12, Paul will go on to tell us how to live, and it's really simple stuff, like this is what comes from Romans 12, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, share with God's people who are in need, don't take revenge, and so on. How is that, how is that list of things to live by different from a Jewish person being told what to do under the law? What is the difference between us as Christians um, trying to hate what is evil, and a Jewish person being told what to do under the law. How are we different? It can't just mean try harder because a Jewish person under the law tried really hard and they failed. What's the difference? 
Well, there's two big differences according to Romans, and it's just what we've seen in this chapter, but let me summarise, and you can see it on your outline. The big difference is that the Jewish person under the law, they were condemned and they were under the control of sin. We are not condemned and we are under the control of the Spirit. So even though we may be being told to do exactly the same thing, love your neighbour, they were unable to do what is right. Sin controlled them, so all the willpower in the world would not work. But we are not under the power of sin anymore. We are led by the Spirit, so we actually can do that. We can obey God. We can say no to sin. Plus, they were condemned, so they had sin telling them constantly, you're a failure, it's no use even trying, you're guilty. This is going to end in death. You've done this before, you may as well do it again. You can't win. And that was all true. Romans says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Don't wallow around in your guilt. Don't say I'm a failure. Don't say I'll never change. Don't say God must be disappointed in me. That is sin talking. That is sin wanting to be your master again. Don't listen to it. Does this mean we won't sin anymore? No. We will at times fail. We still have a sinful nature. Paul uses that language here. It's trying to pull us down. Paul uses the language of hard work and obligation and put to death. This is a battle. But in the power of the Spirit, we can resist sin. We can change. So when you fail, get up and have another go. And if you feel at times like sin is winning, like, like you're trying but you feel a failure, especially maybe there's a particular struggle where you feel like sin is taking over, realise that is sin talking. No, it's not taking over. No, you're not a failure. Just say no to sin, get back up, listen to Jesus. Romans says there's no condemnation. God delights in you. You're forgiven. There's no guilt. God sees your struggle. He's leading you out of that by his spirit. So get up and have another go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Father God, there is a lot to digest in this part of the book of Romans as you help us to understand what's going on in our lives and the struggle that we all face 
to say no to sin and to live a life that pleases you. But Father, thank you that there there is a clear rescue, that you have set us free from sin. And Father, thank you that we don't have to wallow around in guilt, but that Jesus has taken all that away. And Father, thank you that we're not hopeless, but you are bringing about real, true change in our lives by your Spirit. Help us to see your Spirit at work in our lives. Help us to follow the lead of your Spirit. And help us to live lives that bring you honour and glory in our obedience. Thank you for this obedience that comes from faith. Not from the law, but through Jesus. So Father, please continue to change us by your Spirit, that we might obey you. And Father, thank you that no matter how many times we fail, that you are there with us, leading us and forgiving us. And we pray that we might honour you in everything that we do. Amen.